When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back in, Basketball Coppers, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel. Producer Scott is with me, and we have a special guest, because there is no Joey Weaver tonight, as you may have guessed by me leading us in. Uh, David Cunningham, managing editor, tech sideline, joining the podcast. The season recaps roll along. David, you are our uh, latest guest. What's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I know last time we talked, it was the preseason, and I think you and I... We're, Mike, we're kind of uh, iffy on how the season would go. And, of course, now we're at the beginning of February, which is just crazy to think about. And uh, I would say the season turned out maybe a little bit better than we expected. Yeah. Uh, I think Joey officially said four and eight. Scott, does that sound right? I think he said four and eight. Uh, I can track if you give me a few seconds. Yeah, that yeah. does I, sound right. That I does think he, said, he was very negative when we talked the first time. Yes, he was. He was. I got to make sure I get that get that jab in there. You and I both said five and seven, which I thought was I, – I, I think you and I we, – we were on multiple preseason podcasts together with other pods and a lot of different people. You and I were pretty consistent at five and seven. We were – really two of the only people who said five and seven it was looking that way through the month of september it was looking real bad like maybe even like okay is this team going to win three or four games then all of a sudden the season took a huge turn that final weekend september against pittsburgh so we got to a better tech finishes seven and six got to a, a better spot than i think you and i thought than joey thought it didn't really go the way I expected, though. So let's talk about the month of September first of all. Tech starts out one and three. They, you know, they win the opener against ODU. They lose Ali Jennings, what ended up being for the year, pretty serious ankle injury. Lose him for the year, and then, you know, coming out of that game, it was like, all right, offense looked pretty good, but now, like, what is this going to look like moving forward? And it was a pretty rough few weeks after that. Yeah, I think that opener had everybody excited. Um, uh, throw throw in there that Grant Wells was the quarterback for the first week and a half, and all, you know three quarters probably, and then he got injured in that Purdue game in week two, and that changes everything. We we go up to Rutgers. Um, I, I was up there, and uh, I remember just the buzz because that was Kyron Jones' first start at quarterback, and. He comes out, and he's kind of the guy I think that so many people wanted to actually start this year. And we had talked about the quarterback battle, and, and the coaches gave the nod to Wells. Well, Wells played well for a week, and then against Purdue, he was okay. 
Kyron Drones comes in, a little bit of a rocky start. He fumbled on his first possession uh, as a starter, starting quarterback. Um, Hokies drop that Rutgers game, and then they go to Marshall. And they just flat out – I mean, that Marshall game was some of the worst football I've seen Virginia Tech play in a really long time. Um, especially because this is a team that was way more talented than that. Tech starts out the game really, really well. And, and the most mind-boggling thing to me about that game – was that Tech only ran the ball, like, I want to say, like, 15 times total. Yeah. Like, it, it was wow. a very low number of, of, of rushes. And Tech averaged, like, over six yards per carry. Um, I think after that game, at the end of – kind of towards the end of September, before that pit weekend, uh, the coaching staff kind of took a look in the mirror. I think everybody did. And you had to. Um, Tech was one and three at that point. And – you know, for 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 the two of us, Mike, we are kind of sitting there at the beginning of the season, going, "I'm not really sure how this is going to go because Tech has talent, but at the same time, they haven't proved they're able, they've been able to win." And I think as the season progressed after September, they started to hit on certain things that were working really well. I think they found more of their identity, uh, and of course, they they ended the season strong, but. I think, you know, up until that, up until they played Boston college, they hadn't won on the road yet. Like, like there were a, a lot of hurdles that they had to, to get past, you know, beating bad teams at home. Okay. Beating bad teams on the road, you know, beating decent teams at home. Right. It's all like making steady progress. And, and I think as time went on throughout the season, um, you know, tech got much better, but man, September was scary. I mean, it was, you know, Tech's going to that pit weekend, uh, one and three in the ACC, and it's kind of like, what in the world is going on? I mean, there was discourse. We had our podcast, our Tech Sideline podcast. We sat down and we said, does Pry need to look in the mirror at the coordinators and ask, did I make the right hires? Right? That's how bad it was. And all of a sudden, this the, the, the ship is righted and – um, you know, obviously tech had some bumps in the road along the way, but, uh, everything turned out to be okay. Better than I, okay. I would say it's almost like the light bulb went on like the week leading up to Pittsburgh. It, it was odd, right? Cause I mean, Virginia tech starts the year, obviously Rocky defensively couldn't stop anything right in the running game, especially it was, it was rough right up the middle of the defense. We'll talk about kind of who's returning and who's coming in here in a bit. But it just seemed like all of a sudden, basically at the snap of a finger, like Virginia Tech's offense just kind of figured it out over a course of like five days, right? It was like one week and all of a sudden the offense looked totally different. It, It was like schematically different. Kyron Drones looked like a different quarterback, more comfortable, obviously, back there. Um, you know, having a few starts under his belt, but it just really felt like the offense changed a bit. It seemed like Bowen leaned into Kyron's strengths, right? Kind of rolling the pocket and using more quarterback option and the RPO stuff started really hitting. Offensive line started looking a lot better. Uh, Obviously, moving the pocket helps, right? They don't have to hold their blocks and pass protection as long, which is a big problem early in the year. It just seemed like the light bulb went on what do you think it was about the offense that changed? I mean, it, it it was almost like 
the coaches just sat down and decided, like, look, the stuff we're running just wasn't working anymore. We had this offense kind of scripted for Grant Wells. Let's script it for Kyron Drones. It was almost like the thing just completely turned around. Yeah, I think, and obviously people, um, we, we mentioned the, the Brent Davis effect. And Brent Davis is, of course, a former Army offensive coordinator that's on staff as an analyst. And I think he added a little bit more flavor. But, Mike, I think it's what you said about – Tyler Bowen started playing to his quarterback strengths. He had a quarterback in the first two weeks of the season that was not very mobile. And he was a, a, an okay runner. We saw it at moments, and we saw it at moments throughout his career at Virginia Tech, not, this, not just this year. But there was a point where the style Virginia Tech wanted to play was not going to work with that quarterback. And then it was like, okay – the Rutgers game and Marshall game happens. And it was like Bowen in a way was hesitant to try to run that same stuff with Kyron drones. And in between that Marshall and Pitt game, I don't think tech completely changed everything, but tech adjusted tech went more run heavy. That Marshall game, again, Tech barely ran the ball. I, I want to say, I don't remember the exact numbers, but Tech ran the ball the same amount of times in the first half against Pitt the following weekend that it did in the entire game against Marshall. It was committed to the run. I think you saw this kind of identity shift where it wasn't like, like yes, tech tweak stuff, and, and but it was more of this is who we're going to be. This is who we have to be. If we're going to have success, we have to do this. Tech started throwing in more motion. There was already some, but I think tech kind of went all in. I, I think I don't know. I, I think about it like a poker game, right? Where like you're, you, your back's against the wall and all you have to, you know, you're just going all in and then you're, you know, you went around and you're playing much more relieved. You're, you can kind of take a deep breath a little bit. I, I think everything kind of snowballed so fast for the staff, like tech comes out and wins week one. And then the rain delay Purdue week two, you don't have Ali Jennings Scott was there. six and a half, six and a half hour delay. <laughs> I mean, that just, like, the longest rain delay in the, in, in the history of college football. Like, that stuff doesn't happen. Okay, and then you go up to Rutgers with this new starting quarterback, right? And then I think, like, at that point, it, you get to Marshall and stuff had just compiled and snowballed, and everybody was in a bad place. And I, I'm not sure, you know, I, we're hoping to get Brent Pariah on sometime soon, and I'm sure this is going to be, like, a big, a big question. It's like, what what changed like what what mentally shifted because tech came out with a, a different attitude like basial tootin and kyron drones i don't want to say more more active but but tech attacked differently and i think that's the biggest thing and, and credit to tyler bowen and credit for them it, it stinks that tech had to lose that many games before it found its identity but once it figured that out Yes, there were hiccups still, and, and again, some bumps in the road. Tech took some losses, went down to Florida State, and, and did not look very good defensively. But it was like after that pit game, it was like the offense kind of woke up, like snapped out of hibernation sort of thing, and all of a sudden the offense is a completely different animal. And, and Tech played like that for the rest of the year, and obviously when Tech went and played some really, really good teams like Florida State and Louisville – those defenses kind of shut tech down, but at, over the course of the season, you saw tech improve. I, I think 
I know it was against a Tulane team that was beat up, but like I think the, the Military Bowl was the best possible ending for Virginia Tech season. You play a Tulane team that that is they had a really successful season, but didn't take everybody the bowl game because of the coaching transition and you bring everybody back and there's just this momentum and tech came out and and hammered Tulane. And that's the kind of football I think that like tech was not playing in those first four weeks, all of a sudden tech just kind of had this mentality shift. And we saw it that very last game of the year against Tulane. I mean, tech ran the ball more than anybody had against Tulane all year, more than anybody ever had in that bowl game. I think we saw the evolution of a team that at one point looked like it would finish with maybe three wins total to a team that at the end of the year probably could have won nine if it had played like that all year. It's just such a strange, strange year. And now Virginia Tech has all this momentum hitting to the offseason. Yeah, a ton of momentum. Uh, we'll get into that in a few minutes. The it, th- this season just felt it, it was kind of odd, right? It's it kind of felt like three different seasons, right? You had September, which was what it was, and then you kind of had this evolution in the middle of the season where you're like, okay, this is the team who we're going to be. Like you mentioned, we're going to run the ball a lot. We're going to commit to the run game in a way that we really hadn't before. You know, with Grant Wells, this was going to be a, more of a pass-heavy offense. With Kyron Drones, it's going to be more of a run-heavy offense. Fits to his strengths. Sets up easy throws for him. It kind of felt like in the middle of the season, they were kind of trying to find their footing, right? You beat Pitt. You go down to Tallahassee. And to your point, like, the defense didn't play great. But I thought Tech played loose, right? And in a way, I didn't think Virginia Tech would play that way if that Pitt game kind of went differently and Tech was entering that game 1-4. and four. But all of a sudden, you have your second win. It's monkey off your back. And like you mentioned, it just feels like they were able to take a breath. They play loose against Florida State, obviously lose to a much talent, much more talented team. Then you have the Wake Forest and Syracuse games back-to-back. All of a sudden now, you're going from staring like 1-4 in, in the face going into the pit game to winning that game, losing to Florida State, rattling off a couple more. And now you're sitting here like in the home stretch of the year saying, like, okay, how can we make a bowl game? But in my mind, like looking at the back half of the season, it was almost like a little bit of a roller coaster. It felt like Tech started beating the teams they should beat, and they were losing the teams that, that, that you know, quite honestly, were supposed to lose to. You look at the way that Florida State game went, the way the Louisville game went, especially. Like I, I came out of that Louisville game thinking, all right, look, you have a handful of games left, right? You got a game against BC, you got NC State. That certainly looks like a winnable game. And then you have Virginia, right? Just go two for three there. Obviously, that NC State game didn't go the way that Virginia Tech wanted. Uh, A very tough loss. But to close out the year with that win against Virginia, take that momentum into the bowl game, it felt like Tech almost played like three different seasons within the schedule. Yeah, well, if you remember, Mike, I'm sure you do. Like late October, uh, after those uh, Wake Forest and Syracuse wins, uh, I mean, Virginia Tech still had a chance at that point to make the ACC championship game, which was just absurd, right? Because because Tech had only lost one ACC game at that point, which was to Florida State, um, even though it had lost you know a couple of non-conference games. Just a, just a very weird season in that. The, the lows were so low. Um, the, the, again, that Marshall game, I, I, I have not seen a Virginia Tech team play really that 
just that be that out of it. Um, worst loss of the year. Yeah. I mean, people were talking about that Louisville loss being the worst one of the year. Marshall, by far. Like, yeah. that was a team that you, you're not going into that game thinking we're not as talented as they are, right? Which is what I thought Virginia Tech was walking into against Louisville. And it was a disappointing game. Obviously, you get blown out. Offense looks terrible. But that Marshall game, like, this isn't a talent thing. Like, Marshall's got a talented running back. Like, they, they have a good a good offense. And Charles Huff's a very good coach. But, like, that is not a game you walk into thinking we're going to lose like that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Marshall finished with what? Like, Marshall didn't finish above 500. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that was Missed that's not a good Marshall team. Right. Um, and I think we saw at the beginning that that first drive of the year, or sorry, that first drive of that game against Marshall. Kyron Drones had that really long touchdown run. It was Tech had like its two longest runs of the entire season to Great that start on the first drive, and then the whole thing just bottomed out. But yeah, you talk about the roller coaster of the year. That I mean, man, the Syracuse Wake Forest games back to back. The tech defense came to life and start. I think that was when the defense started to find its identity because to that point, the linebackers had really struggled. I mean, the tech defense had ups and downs all year, but the defensive line, I mean, Antoine Powell Ryland kind of came out of his shell a little bit. Uh, he had that four sack performance. Um, tech's defense started playing well. Yeah, tech got rolled at Louisville, but Louisville was a really good team. Uh, and I think that was kind of a little bit of a reality check moment. Tech went into Louisville and, and kind of got woken up a little bit and, and and said, "Hey, look, like, you know, this is not the level you're playing at right now." But to to play NC State close like that, and I think that was an NC State team that a lot of people had underrated all year. Um, an NC State team that had not been probably could have been playing better had its starting quarterback not opted out of the year. Um, and and uh, Casey Concepcion is an electrifying player that could do it all. Um, but but Tech ended the right way. I mean, throw that Boston College win in there too, right? I mean, that was that was Brent Price's first win on the road going up to Boston College. Again, Tech was like checking off all these things on the on the box, like beat beat teams you should beat at home. That's the Wake Forest and Syracuse team. Beat teams you should beat on the road. That was the Boston College beat another team you should be on the road uva and, and like as the games wore on brent pry and the staff kind of checked off more and more boxes and but it was just very weird how like it, it went from being super super negative to okay super super positive to kind of back down to reality at the end of the year and then tech ends on the on the note it ended on um i, I don't think it's crazy you mentioned the the Virginia performance. Tech dominated Virginia like that. Those were two teams that, for most of the season, looked like two really bad teams, or at least the first half. And then, at at the end of the year, and currently as we stand in, in February, they could not be any more different. Virginia Tech and UVA. Like it's just it's so interesting, just how how Virginia Tech kind of, like you said, Mike, three different seasons in one. The, the lows, the highs, the, the ups and downs. I mean, it was like a roller coaster, right? And I think that's what, what makes it's, – it's weird from, like, a Virginia Tech perspective, um, as you know, Mike, like, this, this is a program that has not necessarily had ups and downs in, in a really, really long time. It was either pretty consistent, 
consistently good or like the occasional bad season and you knew it was going to be a bad season, right? And I think this this was a unique year in that and people had high hopes going into it. I think you and I kind of reality checked some people. And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, people are talking about Virginia Tech might win eight or nine games next year, which is just which is just crazy. And I think I you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that in a sec, but like just just super, super crazy year and um, it was interesting to kind of see Brent Pry and Kyron Drones and some of the different players and, and coaches just evolve along the way. Like Kyron Drones, completely different quarterback in, in that bowl game against Tulane and that win over UVA than he was after that Wake Forest game, after that Pitt game, right? Like this was an evolution and honestly really, really cool to see, especially now that you know Tech obviously made it to the other side on a positive note because for a while there it looked like tech was not going to finish above 500 well heading into 24 i mean i think what we should start with is the amount of guys returning so it felt like in between that virginia win and the bowl game it felt like anybody who had any importance to the 2024 roster that had eligibility left announced that they were returning the real exception was Keontae Jenkins, who announced he was coming back about a week ago. But everybody else basically announced that they were coming back. All the Basically, the entire receiving core announced at the same time with like one post, which was real cool. Got the fan base going. Bashal Tootin said he's coming back. You know, you keep Dorian Strong and Mansoor Delane in the fold big time, right? It just felt like, it, oh, Antoine Powell Ryland, like you name it. The players that had any importance to this season that were going to be important to Virginia Tech's success in 24, they all announced they were coming back. How important do you think it was for several of these guys, especially who had eligibility left, who had you know opportunities to maybe transfer elsewhere? We know what kind of world we're living in, college football with NIL and everything else. How important do you think it was that Brett Pry was able to turn the season around from the month of October on? to keep a lot of these guys in the fold heading into 24 because I I thought after that one and three start not only was I worried about the coaching staff I had the same kind of questions that you guys had with the coordinators but I'm looking at the roster and I'm like man there are some really really good players on this roster who are getting the short end of the stick with the way the team as a whole is performing that may not be back next year and now they're all coming back and and Tech's first in SP plus Bill Connolly's SP plus and returning production First in offense, like 12th in defense, first overall with, with what they're bringing back on both sides of the football. Like, how important do you think it was that, you know, Pry was able to turn the season around, win the fan base back, and get all these guys back into the fold for 24? It, huge. I mean, like, it is the most important thing, I think, that, that like, that was the most important part of Brent Pry's tenure, the way the season ended, because he won everybody over. Not that he had to win the players over, but yeah, I mean, let, let's let's not be, you know, let's not like act like th- this is not the age of transfer portal and NIL, right? Anybody could just get up and leave. You know, Tech saw two guys in Daquan Wright and Derek Canteen transfer and, and go elsewhere, one to Ole Miss and one to Cincinnati. And, um, you know, I think Canteen wanted to start and he knew that he wasn't going to be the number one or number two option if Der- Dorian Strong and Monsoor Delane were there at cornerback. The Daquan Wright situation is a little bit different, but Tech has a pretty loaded tight end room. But, I mean, 
and, and I think that's the other thing. Mike, you didn't even mention Nick Gallo coming back. Yeah, like, yeah. At tight at tight end, right? Like this is th- that those couple weeks between that Virginia game and the pinstripe ball, not pinstripe ball, military ball, uh, pinstripe ball. Oof. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was there. rough. <laughs> that, that was that um, was hard. Th- was those few weeks between Virginia Tech beating Virginia, you've got signing day in the middle of it. So you're bringing in transfers and you're getting some some high buzz around those guys as well. And then you go to up to Annapolis. I spent time at practice, you know, along with my colleague Andy Bitter, uh, in Annapolis, around the team hotel, just interacting with guys and chatting with them. And the buzz could not be better. Like they are they are, they were so jazzed to play in this game, knowing that this is who they're going like. Yeah, there are a handful of guys that can't come back because they're graduating. Um, I think you look at the defensive line, like Norrell Pollard and Mario Kendricks and Feldarius Payne. Those were, were some of the big names that, that could not come back. But you look at everybody else, like that offense, the only player that contributed that's not coming back, not counting Grant Wells, I guess, is Daquan Wright. Every single player is coming back. That's just unheard of. And – I think it's important, Mike, considering the way the season started. Tech started one and three. It looked like it was going to be a sinking ship for a while. For Brent Pry and this staff and this group of players to be able to right the ship and not only take the momentum into the postseason, but to bring everybody back. Like, it was interesting talking to, to some of the guys about just what this off season is going to look like. Obviously they were focused on the bowl game, but we're sitting there talking to them after practice for the bowl game in, in December after Christmas or before Christmas. And they're talking about like, like Kyron drones is, is was discussing with us how important it's going to be for him to just be able to get in the facility and throw to the same receivers because last year he was going through a quarterback battle. He, he didn't have all of these reps, right? You know who your QB1 is. You know who your, your running back one is, right? It's Basial Tutin. And, and I think Tech knew that going into the season, but it, it was a little bit more of a one-two punch at the beginning of the year in some aspects. Al, Ollie Jennings is finally back and healthy. Like, on the offensive side of the ball, every single person is back, which, like, just indescribable. It is huge. And – for a Virginia Tech team that is trying to rebuilding that has like its its eyes its, its goals set so high right so many fans so many folks that follow Virginia Tech expect this team to be reaching the ACC championship game to competing for that stuff. If Brent Pry doesn't, if that season doesn't end the way it does, this whole like the, our conversation right now is completely different. The whole vibe of the program you know when brent pry brought the entire football team out uh during the duke men's basketball game two mondays ago that whole vibe is different he brought them out and there was a standing ovation for the entire team in castle coliseum because everybody's so excited for where this program is going to go And, and i think you look at the defensive side of the ball to get Antoine Powell Ryland back, to get Dorian Strong back, to get Monsieur Delaney back, to add in the transfer portal guys. Like Virginia Tech 
you know, say some of those guys wanted to go pro, pursue their professional careers like Dorian Strong. Virginia Tech still would have been okay, been in an okay spot. But this gives Virginia Tech a chance to compete. And I think when when you're trying to build a program, you have to be able to stack success on top of each other. And it's like Brent Pry's doing this right now. And he's like, he's continuing to stack stuff on top of each other and layer stuff on. If he loses an Antoine Powell Ryland in the draft, if he loses a a basal tooth to the transfer portal or to the draft. If he loses one of those senior wide receivers, it's it's not the same. Everybody's back. And I think that shows the buy-in and how much people enjoy being in this program. He's made it a fun culture. People love being there. And the, the craziest thing is again, like when, when Virginia Tech at the begin at the end of this September, this upcoming September in 2024, Virginia Tech could be I don't know, 3-0, 4-0, whatever, which would be completely crazy considering that that at that point last year, Virginia Tech was sitting there at 1-3, and and everybody thought the wheels were going to fall off. That's just the way it felt. It just enough cannot be said about the way they've, they were able to right the ship midseason because, honestly, it was one of the more impressive things like I've seen. Like, Mike, you know, you know, this is the basketball conference. I'm going to talk basketball for a sec. Uh, like Mike Young, a couple years ago, that ACC championship, tur- AC tournament championship team, uh, they won you know, 13 of their last 15 games in the regular season. This stuff does not happen. And honestly, you know, sitting back and, and taking a moment to like think about it, you know, I've been covering basketball. I haven't thought about football too much since the bowl game ended, outside of some recruiting stuff. But it's honestly insanely impressive that Tech was able to rebound the way it was, especially with with all of the all the outside noise, all of the all the people talking about what should be going on. Tech kind of buckled down and was able to to close out the season on a really high note. Twenty twenty four is the first time I think Virginia Tech is going to go into the season with like lofty expectations since. 17 I maybe I mean some people were high on the 2018 team going into it but like I think a lot of us saw the writing on the wall with that team from a culture standpoint before the year started I think you know seeing Fuente win 19 games in two years I think people had hopes that it wouldn't be as bad as it ended up being in 18 but like I can't I think it's this. I mean, maybe maybe you can make the argument for for the nineteen the twenty nineteen team, but I don't know, man. Like, I think I think this is the first time Tech is going to go into the year with like expectations of winning like nine or ten games for the first time in like seven years. And it's I would pretty say longer cra- than that. It's crazy. Because, I mean, think about that twenty seventeen team, right? Like, like. It would have been a lot higher, but Gerard Evans announces he's not coming back. Uh, Isaiah Ford First and Bucky Hodges don't come back. Yeah, like all yeah. like all the guys that had an opportunity to come back didn't. Yeah, and and then so you throw Josh Jackson in there. I mean, obviously Tech beat West Virginia in that opener at FedEx, and I think people were going bonkers. And that was a pretty good team. And Tech 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 was really good on both sides of the ball, but I think you have to go back longer than that to find the last time that Virginia Tech. I mean, when was the last time? Like, I'm just spitballing here. When was the last time Tech returned this much on both sides of the ball? Yeah, like, I know. And it's not. And it's not just like eleven, twenty eleven. 
Like, yeah, I mean, but and, and and what that was the team that went to the Sugar Bowl, like yeah, uh, it, it. And I think we should make the point that it's not just like Virginia Tech's returning all these guys, and it they they they're guys that didn't produce. Yeah. Like these are guys that were really good players this year. Like to be able to get, um, to be able to get that that trio of receivers back along with Ollie Jennings, of course, that Stephen Gusnell, Daquan Felton, Jalen Lane. Like those guys were uh, – obviously the ball only can go so many places, but those guys combined with Basial Tootin, like Virginia Tech was one of the most efficient offenses in college football this year, and it's all coming back. And I, I think the pieces Tech is bringing back defensively, combine that with some some a bump in the linebacker room, I think. I Like that's – got, I got like one hole, and that's at safety, and I'm not really sure what Tech's going to do there. But besides that, like this is a Tech team that that doesn't really have any, any question marks entering this season, which is something that we probably haven't said in, again, like seven, eight years, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah, David, I had a question kind of to follow up on your on your stacking thing that you mentioned Brett Prize doing. How beneficial do you think this is going to, I guess, pay dividends for even 2025 and in the future because of keeping the, that talent this year gives you some time to develop some of your younger talent you're bringing in? Uh, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that and how that might be trickling down the line. Yeah, I think it's huge. Uh, look at the wide receiver room. That is, that is the best example. Um, and I thought... What Fontel Mind said on uh, early signing day um, in a press conference kind of epitomized where the Virginia Tech program is at right now. He said that Aiden Green, you know, he was meeting with all of his players one-on-one uh, after the season was over, before the bowl game. And he, and he met with Aiden Green, and he asked Aiden Green, he said, look, all these guys are going to return. Ollie Jennings, Jalen Lane, Daquan Felton, uh, Stephen Gusnell, they're all going to be back next year. You know, how do you feel about that? And Aiden Green, somebody who just played a lot as a true freshman this year and would be in line to get a lot more snaps next year, essentially said, and I'm paraphrasing, that that is the best, you know, that is the in the best interest of the program. And I'm so excited because it gives me an opportunity to learn from them. It, it gives, like, it puts all of us in a better position. And that's the mindset. Like, you need younger players to understand, yes, if they're talented, they're going to play, obviously. But that this is a great learning experience for them. And I think you're going to see a lot of players trickle out after this season. But I think Virginia Tech is going to be better as a result, right? Like, you're going to see some of the talent that Tech just recruited. A guy like Keelan Adams, who is uh, he's going to be a true freshman in 2024, he set the Virginia uh, high school league record for most yards in a career as a wide receiver. Tech is bringing in a lot of this, some, some really, really good talent. Um, and I think it's easy to, easiest to spot uh, at some of the skill positions. You look like in the, in the cornerback room, the safety room, um, there are a lot of really, really good guys. I look at Dante Lovett and, and Braylon Johnson. They're two young cornerbacks that played a little bit this year as, as freshmen that are sitting behind two all ACC caliber guys, all American potentially caliber guys in Dorian Strong and Monsoor Delane. And to, I, I think you can't replace that experience of them getting to sit behind and learn from them. That's something you can't replicate. And they're learning 
And they're going to eventually get reps, and I'm sure the coaching staff will eventually work them in. And by the time those guys leave, they will be in a better place. Too many times, I think, freshmen get thrown to the fire, or or transfers get thrown to the fire, right? They're relied on out of necessity too early. And that goes for all teams, all sports. When you have an opportunity to develop them, to get them in the, in the weight room for those who need it, you know, on the proper nutrition program, like that stuff – People will undervalue that stuff, but that's so important. And I think Virginia Tech, the ability to retain everybody, it, it kind of puts like a layer in like above, like this is the layer above the, the, the group of youngsters right now. Like they still have room to grow, but they don't have to necessarily play right away. Tech can redshirt a lot of these guys, which means they're here for more years if they decide not to you know, transfer and whatnot, obviously it's the age of transporter and NIL, but like, that's how you build the program. You need to have depth and Virginia tech is building depth, but also developing depth. And it's kind of a two part thing. And I, I look at the offensive line tech didn't lose anybody there this year, but tech is continuing to bring in really, really talented young guys. And if, and adding a transfer like Montavious Cunningham, I think is huge because what it does is if you didn't bring him in, well, then maybe there's somebody who might've had to play a youngster that you can redshirt now. And then that's more development time for him. It all, it all adds up. And um, I think it's an overlooked aspect of it all. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, the, the culture, uh, look, the, the answer that Aiden Green gave with as talented as he is and what he was able to do in his short time being at Virginia Tech, obviously being a true freshman, playing right away, um, getting significant snaps this year in a loaded wide receiver room, for him to give that response with the entire receiving core coming back in front of him, for him to say, yeah, it's a great opportunity for me to continue to learn versus you know, leaving in the portal, <laughs> which is what a lot of kids would do, I think, you know, it's obviously going to be a case-by-case basis, but I think it speaks to kind of the culture that Pry's building. Absolutely. Um, when Again, when I'm, I'm, I was in D.C. Um, doing the media stuff for the bowl game and talking to some of those guys at the hotel, like like talking to – I'm trying to remember who I, who I spoke with. I think it was Monsoor Delane, and this is a little bit after – a week or two after he had announced he was coming back. And he and I kind of just asked him offhand, what what is the vibe like right now? Like, are people are people enjoying being around this program? He's like, oh man, it's great. Like everybody's everybody's praising it. Everybody's having fun. You can't beat fun, right? Like like everybody wants to have fun. And I don't think there are enough college football programs, just college sports programs in general, right? Like obviously, you you have fun when you win, but it. Brent Pry has instilled a culture where everybody wants to come in and work every single day. It's a place that people want to be with people that they want to be around. And you can't beat that. And 
I, I think it really, it really shows by, uh, it showed at the beginning of Prize tenure when he had some guys coming back like Norrell Pollard and Mario Kendricks, guys who wanted to stick around and wanted to, wanted to be part of that building process. And then it says a lot where a guy like Nick Gallo, he, he, he tears his knee up and he says, you know what? I'm going to come back for a medical year. Be- like that's how much he wants to be in Blacksburg. Dude has been in college for like six years now. And, and he decides he still wants to be in college and play football. And yes, I know he's going to start. So it's a little bit different, but like, I think Feldarius Payne, yeah, coming back for this year is another great example. The guys want to be around the program. They want to play at Virginia Tech. I think a, I think a lot of them would probably say they don't want to leave. And, and that's like, again, you, you cannot beat that. You need that. You need your program to be a place that people want to be around, they want to be a part of. And Virginia Tech has that right now. And, and it's funny because, and this is a whole other topic, but when Virginia Tech gets on, onto the recruiting trail, uh, I was t- sp- speaking with some people, um, you know, as they, as Tech was trying to kind of wrap up the, the the this past signing class that signed back in December, and back in the fall, I remember having some conversations with people, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, there are a handful of really, really highly talented guys that wanted to come to Virginia Tech, and Tech had to turn them down because the sorry, the the boat is full. Like there aren't enough spots. And and that's kind of the situation Virginia tech is in. And it is honestly incredible how quickly pry has been able to turn the page considering Virginia tech was three and nine. And through the first four games of his second season, tech was four and 12. And and then the whole, you know, and then this is a completely different team since. And, it's honestly much more enjoyable to talk about now than it was back in September when, when everything was kind of it felt like it was falling apart. This is very much a uh, sell ice to an Eskimo coaching staff on the recruiting trail. I think it's pretty apparent with like being able to initially. I, I talk about this a lot on this podcast, on my Hokie Hangover podcast. I talk about this all the time. Pry had to like come in immediately and pick up the pieces from a very rough end to the prior regime, right? And he had to come in and sell hope and that's all that all that he could do is try to gain trust of the guys who had another year of eligibility like you mentioned Kendricks and Pollard and and the buy-in and and coming back multiple years to the program like all he could do is sell hope and sell a vision and then go out and execute it with relationships across the state of Virginia in particular that were really really broken and he was able to turn that around so unbelievably quickly like to regain that trust in the high schools across the state that, you know, let's call it what it is. Like those bridges were burned under Justin Fuente. They were right. So for him to come back and come into this program and be able to go into the high schools, sell a vision and then have a really rough first year, right. Where I think a lot of people thought it would be a a real tough year one. It was worse than I think a lot of us expected. Like even, you know, going three and eight, like that, that was, that was tough. And then having the start in September and still keeping guys verbally committed and getting them to signing day. And obviously the end of the year had a lot to do with that and how tech turned the season around, but getting all these guys to signing day. Now, I think this was the first time you can start to sell results. Like obviously seven and six is not the standard at Virginia tech. It's like not where the program wants to be, not where the fan base expects it to be, but 
it's kind of like night and day. And I feel like now it's, okay, we're still selling a vision. Now we're starting to sell results. And I think that leads us into 2024, David, where like we talked about the offense returning everybody. I, I think the, the main area I want to focus on is the middle of the defense, right? Because Kendricks, Pollard, Feldarius, Payne, all gone. Um, Virginia Tech, it's, it's been a patchwork situation at linebacker, uh, to put it nicely. And the middle of the defense has been kind of a rough scene. Like Tech hasn't had a true Mike linebacker. I think they might have found one here in the transfer portal. So, I mean, talk a little bit about, uh, you and I both know who, who these guys are, but you know, tell our listeners and viewers like who these guys are in the middle of the defense in particular, the Tech's bringing in out of the transfer portal. Aeneas Peebles is the big name out of Duke. He's an all-conference defensive lineman. But, you know, who these guys are and what kind of impact they can make on this 2024 team in kind of the biggest areas of need. Yeah, well, I think, again, you you, you said it before. Again, offense returned to everybody. And Tech didn't necessarily need to add anything there. And kind of crazy considering that heading into the 2023 season offense was essentially everything Virginia Tech had to revamp the entire offense last year. Now it's more of revamping a big part of the defense. Tech lost Norrell Pollard, Mario Kendricks, and Feldarius Payne up front. They all graduated. And those defensive tackles, they replaced with three other defensive tackles. And, and like, like you mentioned, Aeneas Peebles from Duke, all ACC performer. He's going to be terrific at Virginia Tech. And I, and, and, it came down to a connection. Derek Jones, he was the one who originally got Aeneas Peebles on Duke's radar when he was an assistant under David Cutcliffe. That, that's how intertwined the staff is. And, and, of course, that doesn't work for every single recruit and every single relationship. But that relationship paid off for Virginia Tech in that aspect. Tech added Kamari Copeland. He's a JUCO guy, um, a Virginia Beach native who always wanted to go to Virginia Tech. But his path led him to the to Army West Point and then to a JUCO and now back to Virginia Tech. Um, I think he, alongside um, Kelvin Gilliam, who is another Virginia kid who came from Oklahoma. Tech like, wanted him you, so bad as a recruit. They wanted him so bad. And you add those three guys with Josh Fuga, who – carries the lunch pail so many times and, and is kind of I don't want to say he was the staple of Virginia Tech's defense because I think the other three defensive tackles they all probably put up better numbers but Josh Fuga I feel like in many ways was the heart and soul of this defense and and he's what Virginia Tech fans picture when they think of the Virginia Tech defense um like Tech essentially needed to go out and get three defensive tackles and Tech went out and got Three defensive tackles that are perfect fits for the scheme. Then you look at linebacker. I think the biggest transfer portal pickup is Sam Brumfield. Yep. Mike linebacker. Virginia Tech, one of the reasons why Virginia Tech lost that Marshall game was Tech's linebacker play was horrible, horrendous. Um, Tech has not, like you mentioned, Mike, the Hogies have not had a Mike linebacker under Brent Pry. And they went out and got Sam Brumfield from Middle Tennessee – He's a Mississippi kid who Chris Marv knew when Chris Marv was recruiting the state when he was at Mississippi State. Um, They bring him in from Middle Tennessee. That's two Middle Tennessee transfers in two seasons for Virginia Tech. 
uh, Brumfield and Jalen Lane. Um, I think Brumfield is really going to be able to put his stamp on the defense. Like Tech needed a guy that was going to be able to sit in the middle of the defense and take control. And that's what Sam Brumfield is. He put up great numbers and not just, you know, for Middle Tennessee against conference foes, but when they played teams, I, I want to say they played Alabama and they played teams like Missouri. He put up good numbers against SEC teams, like good caliber competition. Uh, Tech really needed to fill those two holes because those were the guy, or especially up front, those were the guys that Tech was losing. And then at, at linebacker, it was like Tech has to get linebackers in the program. Tech has to. And Tech's recruited a bunch. But to go out and get Sam Brumfield, I, I thought Brent Price said it best on National Signing Day, uh, or sorry, Early Signing Day back in December. He said Sam Brumfield was the number one player on our board. We made that abundantly clear, and we went out and got him. And, and like this staff, the way it has pinpointed who it wanted in the transfer portal and went out and got it, like I, I don't want to say technically it's like shooting a hundred percent, but like darn near close. Like they are, they have been very, very accurate. And what that does is that you know they they bring these guys in and using the former connections like like that is what's going to elevate this program that's what you have to be able to do in the transfer portal era you see it across all sports across all teams like some coaches are afraid of using the transfer portal you have to be able to use it and what virginia tech did was go from a team that was at the bottom of the acc to two years later it, it has a chance to compete for an acc championship this year yeah i mean it's pretty unbelievable um, what the portal can do. I don't know why some prominent programs like Clemson, for example, won't use it. Interesting. Um, <laughs> Virginia Tech will, though. So, uh, you know, they're going to have some key contributors. It was actually pretty funny how, you know, flipping back to the offense real quick, like how the Virginia Tech offense, like, I, I, they went through, like, what, half the season with basically just their transfer portal edition scoring touchdowns. <laughs> it was some, like, ridiculous. I think it was, the, it was like, the majority. Of, I think the only... The only transfer portal guy for a while who had scored, the only non-transfer portal guy who had scored was like Malachi Thomas, and he had like yeah. one touchdown. Like, yeah. like it was like everybody was everybody was scoring was transfer portal guys, and that's how important it is. If you can evaluate the right guys, like Brunt Pry when he put his staff together, he found guys who can coach, but also who can evaluate talent, and he and and go out and get it, and like the way Virginia tech has been able to hit the nail on the head every single time it goes out for a transfer portal guy and make sure that they're not just good culture fits, but, but like they will fit the system. Like it is taken Virginia tech from again, the depths of the ACC to the top in like a snap of a finger, really like it, it is unbelievable. Yeah. It's uh Talent acquisition has always been really important, and you know, obviously, player development is still and always will be like the staple of of college football. But there has never been a time where talent acquisition and being able to go and get guys has ever been as important as it is right now in, in this era that we're in, where like you can transfer whenever you want. You know, the NIL is out of control. There's like no, and I'm a big fan of NIL. I'm, I'm a fan of the transfer portal, like in silos, but 
the way it's working right now is unreal. Like I, I don't envy these coaching staffs at all trying to figure out how they're going to build their roster for the future outside of like get your guys in high school recruiting, right? And then have your guys on your board in the portal, but you really have no idea what your roster is going to look like year over year because of the era they're living in. But yeah, talent acquisition is extremely important. Tech's got the staff certainly uh, in place. I feel like at this point they can do that. Uh, Scott, you got something? Yeah, I was just going to kind of tack on to this. Like, I know, David, you expressed that the team and the culture is great and everyone loves Blacksburg. And like, as a student, I didn't want to leave either. But do you have any more insight on someone that's kind of not as informed on the Triumph NIL stuff uh, about how, I guess, Pry and the, the staff have been utilizing that to, I guess, keep kids, but also uh, coincide that with the culture that they're building at the same time? If that's clear. Yeah, I think, NIL, not... I think, yeah, well, I think NIL is a huge piece, right? Like, like NIL is, like Mike just said, the wild, wild west, the unknown you have to be able to manage it. And honestly, it's been impressive how well Pry's been able to manage it. Um, take, take for example, you know, I mentioned Aiden Green before, right? He's a very highly, he was a very highly touted recruit. He's a kid that played some big snaps for Virginia Tech this season. He didn't necessarily score or catch a ton of passes, but you have to like like in this day and age you have to incentivize guys to stick around like that's just the way it is like it's tough because it's like you're almost paying some of these guys uh, like a salaries type of thing where it's like yep here's you you know this is what you're making like um you know obviously and it's more complicated than that and um but but i think what pry has done is he's really been able to use triumph as an outlet to reach the uh, like an audience of the virginia tech fan base and, and really get his message out which is if you donate it will go directly to keeping guys here and there are programs that are not utilizing that as well i think virginia tech has one of the best nil structures like across the board, like for any sport, like Virginia Tech's NIL, specifically with Triumph, unbelievable compared to like the rest of the country. Like the stuff that Triumph is doing is on another level compared to most others, which sets Virginia Tech apart. And I think they've used it very smartly, specifically the football program, in that Brent Price kind of used it a little bit as his way to get a message out there. Because you have to, right? You have to be able to – and I know there are some fans that will never understand it, but you've got to try to reach as many fans as possible and just say, hey, look, if you give money to our NIL program, it will go directly to retaining kids and getting kids to come in because the recruits pay attention to that too. It's all tied in, and it's something that go, you know, goes behind the scenes because Pry's not talking about NIL all the time because – Honestly, it's a tough subject because he can't just walk in and say, you know, hey, Mike, hey, Scott, you know, this is how much we paid Ollie Jennings, right? Like, you can't say that, but those conversations go on behind the scenes, and and he is, he is utilizing it well. Like, he's managing it very well, and you have to in this day and age to be able to succeed because if you don't, 
you're going to have unhappy players and they're going to want to leave to go elsewhere. And I think that's like, we talk about why all these guys stay. Well, I tell you what, right now, like all those guys who stayed they're they're getting some, some portion in NIL. That's just the way it works. But if Virginia tech did not have the backing of triumph, did not have the support, those guys would not be returning. That's just the way it is, right? It's a, it's kind of a, a two-part thing. They have to want to be in Blacksburg, like you said, Scott, but they also have to they, they, like the way it works now is you have to be a little bit of incentivized to come yeah. back. And Virginia Tech is, you know, I, t- I tell you what, like Kyron Jones, I'm sure is, you know, he, his NIL is pretty good. But Virginia Tech is is putting those guys in the right positions, the right comfortable positions to be, to be able to succeed. The most impressive thing that Triumph did, I think, was um, – and the best decision Tech made was to live stream the signing day so good. press conference. So yeah, good, cool, so good. Uh, no, I was there and I got to go and experience it in person. Um, you know, but but Mitch Gerber, who who hosted, like they did a really really good job of running that and just showing off the program. Tech is Tech is doing really unique things in pitching the program and not like trying to say, "Hey, here's what we're doing," but just like casually like. This is what we're doing. Like, come be a part of it. And people are attracted to that. And when you can comp- you know, combine that with, like, advances on the field, winning, winning, winning. Like, if Virginia Tech goes out there and wins eight, nine games this season, like, the program's trajectory is going to be through the roof to a certain extent because, A, the support – but be the culture and, and like you combine all that stuff together with the roster management, right? Like, like it's all tied in, um, you know, and you asked about the NIL, like it, it's, it kind of flies under the radar a little bit, but it says it's as important of a piece as the roster management or to the roster management aspect of it as the culture part, because if guys are unhappy because they're, you know, Mike's, Mike's making more NIL money than me, right. You have to be able to, to be able to balance all of that. And amazingly, Virginia Tech was able to balance all of that this year and get everybody to come back. And as a result, you know, you head into the fall and Tech's like one of the teams that has a chance to potentially win the league. Yeah, so I actually have a second question on that. Sorry, Mike, I'll let you go next. No, you're good, um, you're good, you're good. So you had, you've highlighted a lot of the roster management stuff and how the NIL ties into all of that. This kind of just came to me while you were speaking. Do you... Do you know if there's a person specifically on prize staff who acts in that like GM type of role, who's like kind of maintaining the roster or is it a collective thing or anything? If you don't, I'm not aware. That's fine. I was just, I know that does exist at some other collegiate programs. So I was just curious. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Um, I think it's probably, uh, it's probably a group effort. I know tech has a really good recruiting staff uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure everybody pours a little bit into it. Right. Okay. I, I, I Honestly, it's it's really interesting because it's a like from a roster management aspect, coaches now they have to be kind of recruiting their own players constantly. You have to constantly be like Fontel Mines, wide receivers coach. He has to be making sure that his players are are happy. They want to be in Blacksburg, which is something you didn't necessarily think about 15 years ago when all you had to do was get them to campus and then they spend four years there and then they leave. Right. Like I'm, 
it, it, it is so interesting now. So I think, I think it's kind of like a group effort and I, I'm, you know, maybe that's something I'll ask Pry about in the future, just like how, how he's, how he handles that. Um, but he, I, I will say it all ties back to, I think what Whit Babcock, the athletic director learned after the Justin Fuente era, which is we need to give the new head, the next head coach as much support as possible. And Brent Pry. You know, we're recording this on Wednesday night. On Wednesday afternoon, Brent Pry announced uh, Virginia Tech announced that that Brent Pry's staff, everybody received extensions, and and some a lot of the guys received raises. This is this is a like being able to to keep not just the players but the coaches around, right? Like Brent Pry is, has the support of the athletic department, the athletic director. He has the backing financially, and now he's putting it together. He's hired a great staff, so it'll again. It's all intertwined, and um, you know, I'm honestly now like now that you brought it up, I'm very interested to know like how that stuff works. Um, I don't know if they'll tell me. To be honest, I would like to know, but like, um, but but it's very interesting, and and that's such a big part of it now. It's like you have to be able to manage the nil aspect of it because you got to keep keep kids happy, honestly, and. Um, you know, like if kids at Georgia are buying Lamborghinis, like, you know, kids at Virginia Tech might want to buy them too. But, hey, sorry, man, like, we don't have that kind of NIL money, right? Like, it's it's it, it's complicated, but you have to have somebody that's able to kind of smooth those relationships over and be understanding and be able to, to keep everybody happy. So I would say it's probably a group effort if I had to guess. The Is one there a Lamborghini dealership in Christmas. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> gonna have to gonna have to get one. Um, the the one thing, and and I think that's actually a a good segue because the one thing I wanted to mention was like Pry has brought up in the past that look like NIL is really important, but the kids also have to like really want to be here too because Tech is never going to be like a Georgia in terms of like okay we have so much money and so much like national success from a like consistently top three or four program in the country recruiting and competing for national championships. Like tech has never been, and I don't think ever will be that type of recruiting machine. Right. And so they got to kind of sell the culture and then, Oh, we have an IL too. And I think pride building the program that way, like he's always said, okay, it's got to be right. It's got to make sense for Virginia Tech. It's something he said in a multitude of different ways with a multitude of different topics. But I think it's really true for the types of kids he's recruiting. Like obviously he's got to recruit really talented kids in the state of Virginia. He's got to continue to up the talent right in the footprint, which is what he talks about all the time, the recruiting footprint. And I think he's doing all that. But I think he's just doing a really good job of finding the right culture fit because there are a lot of good high school football players, right, that, you know, go beyond just the five star, the top like 10, 15 players in the country. There are a lot of really good high school football players in and around Virginia, and he's identifying those that are not only going to help his program succeed and take the steps he wants it to and, and meet the goals, but he's also finding the guys who are a fit for Blacksburg and are going to be good for the culture and that's what I've been most impressed with in terms of what he's done over like the first two full recruiting cycles that he's had yeah the evals have been spot on and not again like you said Mike like not just from a player perspective but like a how they fit Virginia Tech perspective 
And that's what you have to do. You can't – Virginia Tech is a place where if, if you take chances, if your evals are not spot on, it's going to be tough to have success. It just is. Um, I mentioned this before we, we came on. Uh, we recorded a, our Tech Sideline podcast today. I encourage you, if you're very interested, go check it out. And we spent a bunch of time talking about recruiting along with men's and women's basketball and about how – Chris Coleman, my colleague, brought up that one of the guys uh, in the 2019 recruiting class, that one of two guys that's still around, Josh Fuga, Nick Gallo is the other. Josh Fuga was the first ever player Virginia Tech recruited and signed and evaluated after getting a huddle subscription. And there were a lot of guys in that class, and before that, that – tech misevaluated because it did not have a huddle subscription like just recruiting just was not serious stuff. recruiting was not a serious operation there towards the end you know no just just it's so it's so funny looking back but like evaluation is such an important part you have to hit the nail on the head uh and for so many years tech didn't and Tech did in certain areas, but Brunt Pry and his staff, again, whether it's a transfer portal, whether it's the high school kids, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's a staff additions, like like he's brought in people that A, want to be there, and two, A, A want to be there, and B, understand the culture. Like, And that those are the two most important things. And when you add an IL, when you add all these other elements in, like that's why Virginia Tech is being it, it, like is so successful, has so mo- much momentum right now. I know Tech's only won seven games, but it feels like Tech's done a lot more. It because I think because of the upward trajectory that it's on, because of the position that it's in. Because two years ago, it won three games. The year before that, it was not a good football team. Like, Tech has not been good for a while, and now all of a sudden it returns everybody. Like, this is – and it, it's – like, there's a reason behind it. Like, and and it's very interesting when you dive in deeper. Like, credit to Pry for being able to, to put all this together, to put the right staff together, to set up the NIL stuff the way he does, the way, the way he did and the way he, he it is right now to be able to convince guys to come back. Like everything plays a part. And it's so interesting that tech has been able to kind of flip a script that quickly. Let's, let's take a look at 2024. Cause we'll have you back. Like we always do to preview the season, you know, later in the summer, but just your early look at the 2024 schedule, because Virginia tech returning the type of talent that they do with the trajectory they were on towards the end of the year, we talked about all those boxes that Pry started checking. And the one thing I don't think he's necessarily checked yet is beating like a really good team. Like beating, a, obviously beating a Florida State. Florida State was in a playoff conversation. Like beating a Louisville, um, NC State with the way they were playing, like beating that type of team. I don't think Pry's done that yet. So going into 2024... But then look, taking a look at the schedule, I sit here and I'm like, all right, look, if this tech team returns everybody and they're starting to beat the teams that they should beat, even if you don't even take into account the beat the really good teams, 
the schedule sets up pretty well. Yeah, uh, it's it sets up well. I think um, there there are like one or two tough stretches. I think in there, like Tech has that 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 stretch at the end of September, early October, where it has Rutgers and then goes to Miami and then it goes to Stanford and like you got two road trips back to back to the two longest road trips of the year and then you've got a a really really physical Rutgers team. You know, later in the year you've got Syracuse on the road before you have Clemson and home. But but these like there aren't really many games on the schedule where it's like man this, this like Virginia Tech has no shot to win this game right like you you look at that schedule last year was like yeah that Virginia Tech team's not really competing with Florida State you can chalk that one down as an L right you look at this game and go Virginia Tech has a chance to beat Clemson at home like that's just that's just how it is right now flip uh, the switch. I, I now I'm not I'm not buying it just yet, uh, but I, I think the fact that there's a possibility is is very interesting, and that kind of shows where the program is now. And um, you know, I, I think I, I'm very curious to, to see if this program in in year three, now that Tech shored up a lot of those holes at linebacker. Fix the stuff at defense on the defensive line. Uh, the whole offense is back, right? We talk about Virginia Tech leads leads the nation according to SP Plus in returning production. I think eighty six percent it was. Like that's a ridiculous number. Can you find consistency? This schedule sets up pretty nicely for Virginia Tech. It's not too much of a gauntlet. This is a, a non-conference schedule that isn't crazy difficult. Your ACC schedule sets up okay. Yes, you've got a couple of long road trips in there, and yes, you've got a quote-unquote uh, trap game bef- before Clemson in Syracuse. But but this is a schedule Virginia Tech can really take advantage of. My question is, can Tech find consistency? Because there was no point in last season where Tech was consistent, and it, it varied from game to game. And yes, Tech won like back to back. You know, here, there, or there, but but that's the next step. The next step is is like you said, Mike, beating good teams and finding consistency and showing that it doesn't matter who the opponent is that 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 Tech can go out and and, and play consistent each week. Um, but Tech's gonna have a chance to beat a lot of good teams. Like there there are a bunch of really really good teams on the schedule. I'm excited. Um, I know we got a long way to go for until football season, but um, but I, but I think. I think the vibe just around the program, the, the fans are back into it. And, and that's that's part of the most enjoyable thing to me is like people, there's the buzz. People enjoy Virginia Tech football and people are enjoying it again. Um, and I think this team has the opportunity to do a lot of really, really good things. Part of it comes down to just being able to be consistent every time you step on the field. We're going to see some outlandish predictions when you and I are on some preview podcasts. We're going to see some crazy stuff. I'm going to go on record now in the month of February and just say anything less than eight wins, I think, given what Tech's returning and given what the schedule looks like today, like first week of February, I think anything less than eight would be looked at as a disappointment if, you know, short of like drones getting hurt or like some key pieces getting injured. 
I think anything short of eight wins, given what Tech's got coming back and kind of the schedule we're looking at, I think would be viewed in a lot of fans' eyes as a disappointment. Like, there was some meat left on that bone in terms of, you know, what Tech had coming back against kind of the teams they're playing. But the consistency thing is the item for me because under Beamer, like when I was still a student, like I, I you know, I, I saw the last... I saw the last years of Beamer, you know, when I was at Tech. And then, you know, Scott was there to see the first few years of Fuente. And now with Pry, even, that what we've seen the first couple of years as he's been in this rebuild is like Tech always loses a game or two a year they shouldn't lose, right? And we haven't seen it yet from Pry in terms of a team that had expectations because Pry hasn't entered a season with expectations before, at least not lofty ones. I think a lot of people wanted. Oh, he does now. He does that's, now. He again, does that Syracuse game. That Syracuse game looks mighty, mighty difficult. Yeah, the Syracuse one does, and like Georgia Tech the week before. I know it's in Blacksburg, but like Georgia Tech, like that's a, that's the most important game on the schedule in my eyes because, and of course Joey Joey's a Georgia Tech alum, so he's going to yeah, appreciate. This. I was going to say it's Joey's circling that. He's, that he's got that circled. Well, he told me Georgia Tech fans have the Virginia Tech game circled as well because wow. they kind of they kind of view it the same way, right? Like these are two teams at kind of similar stages. They feel like in the rebuild, where it's like, yeah. you know, Brent Key, successful year, like first full year with the program as the head coach, like brings them to a bowl game. They have a really good quarterback coming back in Haynes King. They got a lot of guys coming back. Virginia Tech also, you know, with the ascent at the end of the year, like these are two teams kind of on equal footing, kind of jockeying for a position in the ACC with, you know, a lot of guys returning. And middle of the schedule, really important swing game. If either one of them wants to try to make a run to, you know, a conference championship game appearance, like that Georgia Tech game, I think is huge. I think it's going to say a lot about, where Virginia Tech's at because look there were like 50-50 games on the schedule this year where Virginia Tech you know you go up to BC and and you win you know you beat an undermanned Wake Forest team you beat a Pittsburgh team that ended up being really bad but like you didn't beat a team like NC State and I liken Georgia Tech this year in 2024 to kind of like how NC State was they're coming into Blacksburg you need a win bad in the middle of the schedule like you got a tough stretch coming up with Syracuse and Clemson back-to-back. I think that Georgia Tech game is gigantic. And it's just right in the middle of the schedule. And Georgia Tech's good. They're good. They, they got a good team. That, that, that's that's my thing. Yeah, I, uh, I honestly haven't hadn't analyzed the schedule too much to that point. Um, but I agree. I think I think that Georgia Tech game is, is going to be really, really big. Um, weird that, that, you know, the Boston College game uh, on a Thursday night, um, is Tech's ACC opener like that's like the the third week in October? That's just the way it plays out. Going to Miami, going to Stanford, and then having an open week and having two open weeks because of the way the calendar lays out. Yeah. Um, but but I think this is a this is a favorable schedule. And again, Tech's going to play really good teams, but um, but this is a schedule like 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 you said, Brent Bry's never gone into a season with expectations. And now he now he does. What are what are fans going to do when tech when tech happens to lose a game? It shouldn't. Um, if I had to predict it right now, I don't. I'd probably eight eight and four, nine and three. Um, 
that's where that's where I would go. But I think um, maybe I'd go eight and four to be safe. Yeah, um, I, yeah, that's probably what I would do. Uh, this <laughs> I, I didn't it's think I, I thought about it. Yeah, I thought about it for maybe two minutes. Yeah, I mean, a lot can happen every now and then. But 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 still, I mean, you know, and I think people, some people might might be disappointed in eight wins, but um, I think to be to be talking about eight wins in year three after year one was three wins, like after um, last September, one and three. <laughs> like. Yeah, um, and that's the biggest thing. Tech has to start the season strong. Tech Tech has to like Tech won the first game last year and then lost three in a row. I, Tech's got to Tech can't lose back to back games this year. And, and and I think the way it shakes out, it's like they're going to be a lot of games back to back. Like again, you let mention like Tech's got Boston College, Georgia Tech back to back. Like I know Boston College isn't going to be good, uh, but. But who knows who Boston College head coach is going to be? But yeah, we're still waiting uh, on that George, as we record this. Yeah, we're still waiting on that. But Georgia Tech, I mean, Georgia Tech is going to be really, really good. Um, again, Clemson, Syracuse, Miami, Stanford. Like, if Tech, like Tech, can't lose back, can't afford to lose back to back. And what again? We mentioned this earlier. Like what what got Tech last year was Tech lost one. And then lost another, and then lost another, and it snowballed, and all of a sudden, Tech's sitting there at one and four at the end of the ACC season, and or, sorry, at the end of non-conference play, entering ACC play. Uh, I, I think, I think though, this is a favorable schedule, and if I'm Virginia Tech, I don't want to say I'm licking my chops, but like the there are, we saw Virginia Tech at the end of last season beat a lot of teams that should be by a lot, and if Tech comes out and plays that way. Like that team, and this team in theory should be better. Tech's gonna have a lot of fun this year. Like Tech's gonna win a lot of games, and and I think Tech's gonna impress some people. Yeah, I think so too. We'll hear some crazy playoff predictions and stuff. I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I. Some people will. I'm not gonna be the guy to do it. I refuse to do it. I. You know, I have a reputation to uphold, David. I'm not gonna do it. I'll say. I'll say eight and four as we sit here in February. But I think the upside, I will say, I think the upside is there for it to be better. If that version of Virginia Tech that we saw in several games, several of the wins against teams they should beat, because they weren't just beating teams, they were like winning by an average Rolling. score. Yeah, like beating beating them by like a margin of three scores. Like if they start doing that, then I jury's, jury's kind of out, right, in terms of like what the ceiling is at that point. But I, I do think like this is a tech program historically that has been known to lay a clunker or two. There are some weird stretches in the schedule. The bye weeks set up very odd. Like you have a, a November bye, you got a, you know, you got the the open week. Uh, let me pull it up after in the middle Stanford. there. After yeah, after Stanford and then yeah, after Clemson. Odd how this whole thing sets up but the whole month of october is kind of weird too because they get the thursday night game which gives you 10 days rest and yep all that stuff you got some yeah. mini buys built yeah. yeah mini buys built in there yeah it's it's weird uh the one thing i, sh- I should add about virginia tech is uh, the one thing i'm concerned about and i mentioned earlier is safeties like i, I haven't I'm, talked about that at all one, yeah yeah that's question. the one position i look at the, at virginia tech i don't know if it's really a question mark but I really just go, 
okay, you got Jalen Stroman. Who in the world is playing beside him? Is it yeah. going to be Jalen Jones? Is it gonna, is it going to be Moe's Phillips? Like he, he, those guys were okay if that last year. Um, I think I think Tech, you know, and, and again, long way to go, um, long way to go, and there's still a spring portal window. I wouldn't be shocked if Tech ends up picking somebody up there, but that is the one position on both sides of the ball where I look at it and go, man, Virginia Tech could really use a safety, and. I think Jalen Stroman is really good, but he did he couldn't stay on the field last year between injury and, and, and targeting calls. Um, but I look at, I look across the board at Tech set everywhere else, and I feel good about about Tech everywhere else. Um, Tech can shore up that safety spot. I think this is this team is going to have a really high ceiling. And and literally the only thing I want to see out of fall, um, sorry, out of uh, spring practice. The only question I have is safety, and also like. Where's Keontae Jenkins going to play? Like, because, you know, Caleb, when Keontae Jenkins was out of the lineup when he was banged up, like, Caleb Woodson played okay. Like, could they move Keontae Jenkins back to safety where he kind of started his career? I'd be curious to see if, you know, Tech decided to to take a look at that in the spring. That would not shock me considering the questions they have back there. At the very least, like, if you're not going to start Keontae Jenkins, like, in the back end of the defense, that's fine. But I think they... I'm not there in practice every day right but just like thinking through it in my head i'm like it wouldn't hurt to have an idea of what your defensive backfield at the back end of the defense is going to look like if stroman gets hurt again right if jalen jones and, and i thought jalen jones started to play better as the year went on but like if jalen jones is a little bit of a liability back there which he was early in the year didn't seem like he was too comfortable like what are your options like most phillips okay in spurt i mean he's a freshman but he was okay in spurts right and another year of development offseason under his belt i'm very curious what they do in the back end of the defense and that's something we probably should have talked about earlier that we're sneaking in now yeah um the other thing is like if you move uh, if you move keonta jenkins that might give you an opportunity to move kelly lawson around um i think i think there's a lot of things that that chris marv can can mess around with and um the good news is like there's not a gaping hole in the middle of the defense anymore because Tech plugged that with Sam Brumfield. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think he he's really going to change a lot of things. I think that de- new defensive tackle trio is really really going to be good. Um, I, I think maybe the most underrated transfer addition is Montavious Cunningham, who I mentioned earlier on the offensive line. I think he he gives Virginia he's going to add something up there. Um, he's, he's a veteran from Georgia state, um, Tech's in a really good position, obviously a long way to go. And we'll find out more, uh, in spring ball and stuff. And I know we'll of course reconvene over the summer and, uh, and I'm, I'm excited to hear Joey talk about that Georgia tech game. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be fired up about that. We did a, uh, when the ACC released the the full football schedule a few weeks back, we did, uh, we kind of went through a lot of, a lot of different schedules on that podcast. And what we kind of kept coming back to was that game between Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech is just gigantic for both teams. It's it's a big trajectory game for both programs. So they're both kind of looking at it the same way. I feel like um, I think we're going to hear more and more about that game. I know the Syracuse and the Clemson game, and I think it's a point well taken. And then, you know, obviously the Boston College game uh, is is a big, big one. Uh, home opener on a Thursday night like those are the ones that uh, are going to 
obviously draw a lot of attention, I think, from tech fans. But I think as as fans, as media folks start looking more and more at the schedule, I do think that Georgia Tech game is going to start to stick out. Just with the history between the two schools, there have been weird results there, both at home in Blacksburg and on the road in Atlanta. Uh, they're back on the schedule. They were not on the schedule last year. So I think it's going to be a big one. And two, two of the most uh, dynamic quarterbacks that are returning in the ACC. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, all conference candidates a quarterback, too, which will be which will be something. David, man, this is all encompassing. I uh, I texted you and told you that this would be like 40 to 45 minutes. We've gone an hour and 22. As anticipated, Scott, this is what we do on this podcast. We tell guests it'll take 45 minutes. We try to double that time. That's basically how that works. I uh, want to give 100%. you an opportunity. Yeah, 100%. I uh, want to give you an opportunity to plug your stuff, David, of course. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, you, you as well, Scott. Uh, this is fun. I enjoy coming on here and chatting, especially mine, because I feel like we don't get to chat enough during uh, the actual football season, uh, like on other podcasts, right? Like we're on, <laughs> we're on some of the podcasts like with each other at the same time. And it's kind of just like we're, just, we're both sitting there thinking the same stuff and and just watching everybody kind of like run away with the conversation. Um, yeah, I, I, I cover Virginia Tech for Tech Sideline. I'm the managing editor. Uh, you can go to techsideline.com and and uh, go become a subscriber today. We've got plenty of football coverage along with basketball, uh, baseball, softball. And spring sports are coming up, so it's it's almost cr- – it's like just about to be other crossover season for me. Uh, so things are about to get really, really chaotic, but – um, but yeah, as always, appreciate you guys having me on. This was really, really fun. And yeah, I know you texted me and said 45 minutes and I was just looking and I was like, man, we're, uh, it's, it's almost midnight, but we're rolling. Um, we rolled, but yeah, man, it was fun. And it was great chatting with you guys. And, uh, again, I appreciate you having me on, uh, super fun to, especially in the middle of, of basketball season to kind of chop up some football and, and look ahead. And I think everybody's excited. So that's a good thing. You and I both have our conversations about basketball that you and I share internally that, you know, it, it's good. The football, the football conversations, this is like more of a cleanse of the palate with uh, kind of where we're at in the uh, men's basketball season in particular. So this is good. Uh, yeah, go go to techsideline.com. I just can't recommend their stuff enough. I, I am a subscriber. I've been following David and reading Will and Chris and all them forever. So, yeah, definitely go check out all their stuff. Can't recommend Tech Site more highly. And tech sideline. Uh, David, appreciate it, man. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good, man. Talk to you soon. Scott, we're going to get out of here. Uh, we'll make the outro brief here with no Joey because he's the professional and he does all this. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Homefield, Section 103. Uh, appreciate their support. Uh, at BC Podcast ACC on Twitter slash X, uh, at BC Podcast ACC on Instagram youtube.com slash at the ACC football podcast probably should have mentioned this at the beginning but please 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 subscribe uh give us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts uh reach out to us basketball conference podcast at gmail.com our dms are open on social media as well scott did i miss anything else uh email us and all of david's info and contact can be found in in the description so just scroll down and look for david there Perfect. Follow him on social media at the real D Connor. He is, he is the guy to follow. Uh, Scott, we'll get out of here. Uh, Joey and I are going to try to record more season recaps this week. We'll see there if we he's able to, uh, if he's able to swing it. 
uh, yeah, but until next time, uh, for David Cunningham, for producer Scott, I am Mike McDaniel. For Joey Weaver, of course, absent. Uh, go Hokies and go ACC.